know who we all are here. There it goes. Recording. Yes. Yes. Okay, great. Um, so guys, so what I did is I dug up for those of you who I've talked to previously, I'm a huge flashcard person. So I dug up my flashcards from last year and then I kind of looked at the, um, the review, like the study guide to see where the chapters were. And then I looked at my old study guide that I had to see where the Silverstein Hopper chapters were. So I figured we can just kind of go through these things from, from like the, starting with the study guide, because I think that that kind of gives us a little bit of an outline as to what they're expecting. Um, pharmacology is a ginormous subject. So I don't expect that we're going to cover every single part of it thus far, but I figure we could at least kind of get through a little bit of it. Um, so I know some of you had parts of this that you were struggling with in particular. So I'll, I'll open it up there first. Is there, is there any part, any questions that anybody had or any particular subject that you guys feel like we need to start with? Like, you know, like if, if you want to look at cardiac drugs first or beta blockers or metabolism, where, where do you think the, and you can type it in the chat too. That's perfectly fine. Like where you think you'd want a starting point is because otherwise I'm going to kind of start with like pharmacokinetics. I kind of start in that, in that general I don't care where we start, but to hit on the thrombolytic agents at some point. Oh, yeah. Those are real weird. Fried. <laughs> right, right. And honestly, you know, with the thrombolytic agents, you there's not we don't use a whole lot of those. And so the, like there's the Silverstein and Hopper is a bit of a black hole when it goes into that because it gives you a lot of details. But really, I mean, the kind of things that you're going to want to the, the things that I felt like I had to understand about thrombolytic stuff was like what plasminogen is versus plasmin, fibrinogen versus fibrin, like those types of differences. Cause it's really, it's the clotting cascade that they want you to understand and the bits and pieces of the puzzle, they come up when you start looking at those thrombolytic agents. So those are the parts to really focus on, like the actual drugs that, you know, you, you know, you're in, you know, you're getting in deep when the Silverstein and Hopper says, but these ones are still in clinical trials for human medicine. And you're like, yeah, oh. I felt like I made it through the paragraphs, and at the end, it's like, this isn't in vet med. But you'll never see this. Like yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's ex that's your hint, right? That's your hint that it's like it's a really obscure thing. Yeah. So, uh, yes, we will absolutely we we will get to those for sure. So thrombolytic stuff, that's good. Um, let's see. You guys are probably all working in hospitals that have uh, like cardiology departments. Is that true? Like I'll have kind of specialty yeah. departments. Oh, you don't have cardiology departments. That's okay. Um, it's, it's not the end of the world if you don't. It just means that the, like sometimes those types of drugs will come up more frequently because they'll, they'll manage things like saddle thrombus for longer periods of time. Um, just because they've got a cardiologist who's able to like script the anoxaparin to treat them at home. So that's fine. We will, we will absolutely go over the types of like beta blockers and drugs that would have come up otherwise. Um, so what I have here, I have, it's not this year's, but it was my one for that from when I took the test. And so I just kind of started looking at the beginnings of what they wanted us to know. Um, one of the things that came up first that I thought would be good to, to look at is drug interactions and how that works mechanically versus kinetically. So um, does anyone recall the difference between pharmaceutical interactions that they say are, are pharmaceutical drug interactions versus pharmacokinetic interactions? What the difference is between those two things? And you can type it in the chat thing. That's perfectly fine. This will come up again. 
Is the um, the mechanical is like the precipitate and when yes. mix together. Yes, yes, one hundred percent. That's it. In fact, there's a picture. I don't know if you can see it. I've done this. Have everyone's done this, right? Where they go, oh, oh, yeah. oh crap, <laughs> those don't <laughs> go together. Yeah. Okay. Good. So that's it. So that's that's the pharmaceutical one. And then the pharmacokinetic. So what's what's a pharmacokinetic? Yeah, yeah, before and after. Very good. Oh, Brandy got it. Yes, before and after administration. That's exactly right. So the pharmacokinetic part of it, it's the it's the drugs inside the body. So there's a couple words that they like that they like us to know. Um, absorption, distribution, biotransformation, and excretion. And that's right under my pharmacokinetics header in my study guide that those four words come up. And so it's, that's exactly right. So it's once the, the, once the drug has already entered the body, that's when we're starting to look at pharmacokinetics. And there's a couple specific drugs that they want you to know for that. Um, so that being said, one of the things that, um, that came up that I think is a good thing that is, is a good way to remember how, how pharmacokinetics works is when they have the, uh, the MDR1 gene. Now, who knows what MDR actually stands for? We all say it all the time, but I think it's important to remember like what the, what the letters stand for. Multi-drug resistant. Yes, yes, that's exactly right. So when we say a dog is MDR1, what does that mean? Why would that enter? Why would that be a problem? Doesn't it make them more susceptible to the effects of the drug or they don't metabolize it properly? Yes, yes, yes. It makes it more susceptible. But the, but the MDR stands for multi-drug resistance. That's weird, right? But it's because the reason, this is, this is why I bring it up. Because the, the reason why is because they're missing it. They're missing that gene. I think like, you know, a lot of times we think about like, the, it's a, it, oh, it's an MDR1 dog. It means like, you know, that they, like they have MDR1, but it, it's that they're missing that component. So yes, exactly. It makes them more susceptible. Uh, what it, and it, it makes it very complicated in this study guide. You'll see that it says like, you know, controls the P-glycoprotein. Sure fine, P, whatever. But what that means is that that glycoprotein, so anytime you're hearing the word protein and it's talking about, um, uh, and it's talking about pharmacokinetics, it's usually going to mean that something's changing or something's slipping through something because proteins are what make up our membranes of things. So in this case, it's the blood brain barrier. So things slip through that blood brain barrier a lot easier and through the brain capillaries. And when that happens, it means that, um, Things like ivermectin, right? That's a big one. Um, the ones, other ones that I actually had forgotten about that I saw in this guide, it says that um, vincristine, vinplastine, and doxorubicin uh, are all super bad, and those will slip through their blood-brain barrier too. Um, and certain anesthetic agents as well. I think somebody had told me Torb had slipped through there. I honestly didn't look that up before I got on here. So, But it, it is one of those things where things will slip through there more easily so they can have toxic effects a lot more easily. And of course, you guys know there's certain breeds um, that are more prone to this. Do you know this white feet don't treat? You ever heard that before? It's like a collie thing. 
it's not exactly the most scientific thing why feet don't treat, but, it, but, but that's why. Because colleagues are more prone to, to be missing this particular gene. Um, so that, so that's, a, that's a good example of what pharmacokinetics can be. Now, this would be because we're looking at these four words, right? So these four words being absorption, distribution, biotransformation, and excretion. So what type of pharmacokinetic problem is that MDR? Do we think it's biotransformation? Is it absorption, distribution, or excretion? What do you guys think that qualifies as? I think it's kind of a little bit of both. Oh, I see someone scratching their head up there. Is that you thinking, Colleen? That's you pondering. <laughs> Well, I, I, I think it's a bit, I think it's a bit of both. Um, it's not really, so is the drug changing when it goes through that blood-brain barrier? No, that's right. Brandy's shaking her head correctly. No. So is, but is it uh, absorbing? Uh, I mean, kind of, kind of. I mean, I think that you could maybe say it's absorptive, but it's really distributive, right? Because normally we're not distributing all that blood in, through that barrier into the brain. So it, it qualifies more as a distributive disorder. Now, where our VTS life gets interesting is when they start asking us about biotransformation, right? Because that involves your metabolism. And it gets all types of exciting because we start to look at these different things that are in the uh, hepatic metabolism that changes. So who's gotten as far as looking at liver metabolism? Have you guys done a little bit of reading about that yet? The CYP and all that? Does that sound kind of familiar? Okay, good. Okay. I wasn't sure how far, how far in everybody is with the reading. I know the reading is a bit of a beast. Um, but so what we have here, the ones that are important for us to know, there's phase one metabolism and there's phase two metabolism. Um, the cytochrome P450 or CYP, that comes up a couple different times because that's how the liver is metabolizing some things. And so let me look at my little flashcard because I think I actually distilled this a little bit here. Oh yeah, here we go. Two phases of liver metabolism. Yep. So the way that I kind of, it's a hard thing to remember because it seems really obscure, right? Like, you know, cytochrome P450, CYP. I think I used to sing the Michael Jackson song in my head to remember what is, you know, CYP, P450. So something like that. So I could so remember what it was. Um, but basically what this is, is it utilizes a couple different mechanisms to get rid of some drugs. So it's oxidation, reduction, hydrolysis, and it converts some drugs into inactive metabolites. Um, the first one to remember for this one, which is a big one, is warfarin. So warfarin is converted, I mean, some, some of it's converted into an inactive metabolite using that CYP protein. So if that's not happening, so say you have liver failure and you're not converting that properly, then warfarin is not going to be the drug that you're going to give because it's not going to be able to go into its inactive form. Um, now the phase two, Oh, before we leave the phase one, there was another important drug that was in here. Let me see if I can find it. Oh, this is an important word. Okay. So there is a, there, there's a term called a prodrug. Have you heard that term before? Does that sound kind of familiar? It's like P-R-O-dash-drug, prodrug. And really what that means is, let me find my little prodrug flashcard. Oh, no, here we go. I'll find it right here. 
pro-drug means that it needs to be transformed into something else. So it means that it's going to convert one drug into another. Like examples of pro-drugs um, that'll sound familiar to us is tramadol, um, enalapril is one of those two. So it means that it actually, the, the enzyme system is actually converting the drug into something else. And so when it's a pro-drug, it means that it has to go through a me metabolic change in order for it to do its job. Um, there's another one that gets converted that can cause a lot of problems, which is acetaminophen. Acetaminophen gets converted, except that that makes a whole bunch of toxic metabolites that are super, super bad. Um, there's another one too that's, oh, uh, <laughs> this is a weird drug. Who has ever used and I am not on this list. Who has ever used cimetidine? Right? We never use that drug. But that shit will come up. And I don't know. I think it's because it's because it's part of this. So cimetidine is special. Um, it does this thing where, so remember our friend, CYP, pretty 450. Cimetidine inhibits that. So if you were, if you have an animal that's taking cimetidine, that means that you've inhibited its pathway to be able to take a lot of drugs that are going to use that pathway to get converted. So like if you're on cimetidine and you need to give it tramadol, it's going to be a little bit wonky because tramadol is a pro-drug and it needs to go through this metabolism path and cimetidine is a big roadblock stopping that from happening. So when we get to kind of the end bit of this chapter, in my book anyway, there's a question that comes up about that where it says like, you know, what's contraindicated? I can't remember exactly how they word it, but that's, that was one thing that came up with it. That's why I want to point that out because that drug is something we never, ever use. I don't even know. I mean, I think the only reason why we have to know it for our VTS stuff is because it does that because it's a C, it's a CYP inhibitor. Um, there's a couple other things that also inhibit CYP, like fluconazole, NSAIDs can do that too. Um, now, because this is a this is another one where it can it, it it can screw you, right? So if NSAIDs have this ability to inhibit this CYP, and then we also have this anim this animal on a thrombolytic agent, say warfarin, that's gonna be bad because warfarin needs the CYP in order to become partially inactive. Otherwise, it's going to be too much of it and they're going to bleed to death. So those are the types of things that, that I try to remember, like some specific circumstances that have to do with that, that CYP, um, pretty 450, just so we can remember that it's there. Um, now, phase two metabolism. So that's all, that's all phase one. Phase one is all the CYP stuff. Fa phase two metabolism. Now, um, that one is about water solubility. Uh, that's the main focus of the phase two metabolism. Uh, not all species have the same capability for that. Uh, specifically, remember we talked about acetaminophen before? So cats, they lack, um, now there's a fun word that you're going to come across in Silverstein and Hopper, um, glucuronidation say that five times fast. So cats lack this glucuronidation pathway that's a phase two metabolism to metabolize certain drugs. And that's why they can get such a bad toxicity from acetaminophen because that's what it uses. Um, they, uh, instead of using the phase two pathway to metabolize um, acetaminophen, they use the cytochrome P450, 
which is the phase one. And because they're using that, it makes all these toxic metabolites and they die. So that, so that's, that's one, that's the reason why cats are so much more susceptible to acetaminophen than dogs are. Cause I'm sure you've all been in that circumstance where like an owner will bring their dog in for acetaminophen ingestion and you're thinking, oh God, this is going to be horrible. And then the doctor goes, oh, cool. This is within a, a range. That's not so much a problem. And you're like, what? Like a cat can like, you know, like look at an acetaminophen pill wrong and you have to hospitalize them for days and days and days. But this is why. Now we know why. It's because their pathways in their liver are different um, to metabolize that same drug. Um, you're noticing the liver come up several times, I'm sure. So the liver, the liver is that that's that's the it's the most vulnerable to adverse drug reactions. Um, it's the it's the biotransformation that happens in the liver is kind of the most prominent. I mean, obviously we know the kidneys are also part of that because they help excrete the drugs. Um, but those are the two those are the two big ones about the liver. I thought it was worth talking about because they're complicated and they're weird and it's going to come up in your reading and it's a little bit hard to kind of wrap your mind around. Um, any questions about our friend P. Fofitty at this point and CYP? Now you're never going to forget it, right? Because you're going to remember the Michael Jackson song. This is what's good. Okay, let's see what else we got in here. So, oh, good, excretion. So we've talked about this and we've kind of segued into this unintentionally already. Um, so renal excretion of drugs, that can be uh, impacted by your renal blood flow. Uh, now, I think the perfect perfect example of this is one that we have seen and treated all the time, which is NSAID toxicity, right? This like the, the six-month-old lab that eats of the four bottles of carprofen, right? Um, and now they're, now they're going to be in big trouble and they have to stay in your hospital for hella long. Um, so, the N, so an NSAID toxicity, I feel like we're not like quite there yet. That's like a, that's like a whole other toxicity thing that we'll, that we'll do. I don't think we, we, there's a lot that we could focus on today, but we'll try to stick to the drugs. Um, but so they, they obviously are going to, that they're, ex, that, that particular drug is excreted, excreted in the kidneys. And of course that organ is the one that's impacted so much from an NSAID toxicity. So the rate of, um, of renal blood flow is going to affect how fast that drug is able to move out of their body. So that's one example of excretion making a difference. Um, Oh, I feel like there was one other drug I wanted to cover in excretion. Let me see if the study guide has it in here. Oh, right. So a couple, um, a couple drugs that we don't think about all the time. I feel like we think about. I try to hit on the ones that, like, you know, you guys know, and like, you guys know that NSAIDs are excreted in the kidneys. That's like a known thing, no brainer. You guys know that. The things that are oddball ones. Um, aminoglycosides. You remember those from like RVT school when you had to remember what aminoglycosides were? So that's a big one that gets excreted in the kidneys. Um, ACE inhibitors. So things like enalapril and captopril, those are ones that are excreted in the kidneys. So those are ones to remember too. Um, oh, and diuretics, right? So we'll go over diuretics. There's like a whole, there's a whole bunch, a whole, a whole bunch of diuretics that we'll look at. Uh, so let's see. So we talked about our NSAIDs a little bit. That was good. Let me see if there's anything weird in my NSAIDs card that we should look at. Oh, God. So I don't really remember if I had to know this, but there are four classes of NSAIDs. We all seen that? 
That's terrible, isn't it? Why do they make us know that? But so, but there are. And the reason why it's important to know is because drugs that we're familiar with, like, you know, aspirin, um, etodilac, there's a real weird one that we don't use a whole lot, but human medicine will use it. They're in different categories of NSAIDs. And so, um, I'll just, I'll say them out loud so you can kind of hear the words, but I would maybe just jot yourself a note to look these up so that you can look at these words because it's pharmacology. All the words don't make sense and it's a whole bunch of consonants and like no vowels. And so the first one is uh, carboxylic acids. And um, that one includes aspirin. That's the salicates. And then we're going to go to propionic acids, and that includes ibuprofen, naproxen, and carprofen. Oh, who's seen a naproxen ingestion? Who's seen one of those? Yeah, that's bad, right? I saw a dog die from that, like come in like obtunded, died on the table from naproxen. That's terrible, that one. Um, carprofen, that's, that's, that's the really, that's the highlight, right? There's one that's familiar. So propionic acid, carprofen is a propionic acid. That's the class of NSAID. Now you're smarter people for knowing that. Okay. Um, boy, ones that we don't use very often. Oh, here we go. Enolic acid. That one includes meloxicam. So meloxicam is a different class of NSAID than carprofen is. And then acetic acids are the last one. Um, that includes some oddball ones like etodilac, diclofenac. That's one that we've used for eyes, right? If anybody's worked in ophthalmology, that's where I've seen diclofenac before. Um, so it's worth looking at those. You know, I don't remember if I had to know the classes when I actually took this exam, but it's good to know that they exist because I didn't even know that there were classes of NSAIDs before I started looking at this stuff. Oh, let's see here. Uh, we all know that NSAIDs can strongly affect the GI system, right? So we all know why the NSAIDs affect the GI system. What's, what specific things are going on there? And you can answer in the little chat thing. That's perfectly fine. Yup. Cox inhibition. So what does Cox stand for? What's the big long word? I, I just kind of, I like the word. It's a, I mean, it's mainly why I'm asking you guys, but also because we have to know what they are. Yeah, anybody know? Anybody know? No? Oh, tricky, right? Cyclooxygenase. You know why I like this word? It's got two O's right next to each other, which is really weird. Yeah, so cyclooxygenase. And of course, there are two types of cyclooxygenase, right? There's COX-1 and there's COX-2. Um, there are NSAIDs that are specific as to which one they're inhibiting, as, as, to, as to what things are inhibiting. So yes, COX inhibition. Yes, prostaglandins are important. That is very true. Um, so prostaglandins, they, they, prostaglandins are amazing things. They maintain stasis in a lot of different ways. So gastric mucosal function and perfusion, they have something to do with hemostasis, renal tubule function, like that's a big part of prostaglandins. Um, now, COX-2 inhibitors are the ones that are a little bit safer for us to use, right? That's what, that's, COX-2 inhibition is what um, carprofen works off of. Um, GI and renal blood flow is what COX-2 inhibits, but inhibiting selectively for COX-2 is a little bit safer. So that's why, that's why we tend to go with those guys. Um, so 
what the COX enzymes are responsible for is uh, inflammation and the release of inflammatory. Oop, hang on one sec here. I just got a little upgrade thing. Please hold. Please hold. Yeah, sorry, I have to just upgrade quickly before I lose you all, my darlings. Do, 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 do. There we go. Uh. Sorry, slight pause. Okay. Okay. Let me get you back on here. Oh, where'd my people go? There we go. Okay. Oh, I see there's two more people here. Admitting, admitting. Okay. Um, hang on one sec. I'm gonna mute myself really quickly just for one second because what I'm gonna do is um, upgrade this thing so we can do it longer. So please hold, oh, but before I let you go, I'm gonna ask you a thing. I'm going to, when I come back, after upgrading this, which will only take a second, um, I want you guys to tell me, hang on here, the pain pathways, okay? Pain pathways. When I return after upgrading, I want to hear about some pain pathways. Okay, I'm gonna mute myself for just a sec here. And I'm just gonna admit Hannah, just so I can upgrade real quick. Okay, I'll be BRB. Okay, kids, I think we're good. All right, pain pathways. Oh yes, you guys answered in the thing. I'm so stoked. Okay, great. Yes, very, very good, very, very good. So, um, I brought up the pain pathways because there is definitely um, some specific questions that will come up that are related to, to where these drugs are kind of going. Um, so pain transduction, that's the first one. Um, so this is where the, the chemical information at the cellular level, cellular level is, uh, is turned into electrical impulses. So there's a very, um, a very specific type of receptor, I guess that's what it is technically, a receptor. Does anybody know what that's called, this, this pain receptor that we all have to know? Having to do with trans, oh, substance P is not a bad guess. That is not a bad guess. That will also come up later because, oh, well, okay, side note, um, did anyone know the drug that inhibits the substance P? Oh, mu receptor is also fairly good. There's a specific drug for substance P though. You must know what it is if you, if, if, if you said substance P. Serenia, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, that's it. That will come up, y'all. It's so crazy. Um, nociceptor, Lexi, you got it. That's it. That's what I was looking for. Was the was the was the nociceptor? Yes. So the mu receptor, that's the one that that pure opioids work off of. Um, so you know the mu receptor will come up at a later point. But the the one I was looking for was nociceptors specifically because that's the one that has to do with transduction. Uh, transmission, that's the next one, right? So that stimuli is gonna move from the peripheral nerve system towards the brain. So now we're heading into the brain. Um, there's a specific part of the brain um, that they want you to know the transmission is going to, if anybody remembers, anybody remember where it's going? 
Yeah. Thalamus. There's one more A in there, Melissa, but yes, thalamus. That's where it's going. And then the third one, perception. So now perception, this is, a, this is one that's easy to kind of conceive of because this is the conscious experience of pain, right? So stimuli has reached, has reached the brain. So that's, that's perception. Um, perception, of course, with our job versus animals, that can be a little bit different, you know, because it's, it's, it's hard to perceive exactly what animals are feeling. They can't talk to us. Um, but that, but perception is the third one. And then the last one, the last phase of pain is modulation. So that's when the brain is interacting with the spinal nerves and it alters the pain experience. So does anybody, Ooh, this is a, this is a tricky one. And this is why I had to write it down. Um, does anyone remember from your reading what specific procedure we do say before a P, uh, TPLO that blocks this pathway specifically. Oh, uh -huh. I, maybe, maybe that is what it does. I was thinking of an epidural, but that sacrococcygeal block, I mean, why not? Sure. I mean, it seems like it's a similar thing, right? So yes, the ep epidural is the one that I was that I was thinking of specifically, but you know, I think I probably would think that the sacrococcygeal block would do the last thing. Oh, no, Ashley, you see that perception is the last thing. I have it as the third to last. Is that is that in the in the Silverstein Hopper? Did they have the perception as the last thing? Sometimes it changes. Oh, the article you're, oh, articles, you know, uh, I don't know what to tell you. It, it may, it may be that the, it, that it's, that it's the last thing. Technical difficulties, technical difficulties. Genus Hopper is saying that it's not something that I'm going to use in veterinary medicine every day. So like the, those kind of details, I wouldn't bog yourself down too hard with, but there are certain things, I will say there are certain things that you should know the details of. Like one is like the path of the blood through the heart, right? That's something to know the ins and outs for. Um, uh, we came up earlier, the, the knowing the RAAS system and how that works, how does aldosterone work? Um, how does antidiuretic hormone work? The, those are good things to really know the ins and outs of. Uh, all your emergency drugs and all, and you know, your emergency drugs kind of cross over into cardiac drug world because inevitably we're trying to start hearts. Um, and so those are good things to know details of. Um, and I actually think the the quizzes that come in the back of the review guide are, are like the, of the AVEX study guide, those are pretty good. Um, and it's a good jumping off point as to where they, where they kind of generally want your information to be and what they want you guys to know. Hence, they put that freaking semetidine question in there. You notice that? So it's, I feel like they, they'll, they'll do that. And I think the more that you do the reading, the more you'll find out a lot of those categories are going to cross over a little bit. How did the CPR stuff go with, uh, with Heather? Was that all cool? She's the recover instructor, so I feel like she's, she's got it down. I will tell you, I did not do enough review on that recover initiative before I took this test. And I, I like there were numbers that they wanted me to know. And there was like, um, 
defibrillation questions that they had on there that I remember going, ah, I didn't look at that at all. Because it's not really in, like the Recover Initiative really isn't in the Silverstein and Hopper. I mean, there's like the basic concepts of stuff, but the details from that um, all are online or from like in the instructors that you've had or coworkers that you have and podcasts that you listen to. So I will give you that little bit about CPR is I was underprepared for that. Um, it came up a little bit when we were talking about it, all the 5H23, 5H24 stuff. Um, serotonin syndrome is something that we very, very rarely see. And yet there's a lot of different drugs that you use for that. And there's also a mechanism that happens with serotonin syndrome, like whether it's a toxicity or whether it's like the pharmacokinetics of like tramadol and fentanyl working together against, um, against you. I was also underprepared for serotonin syndrome. So I feel like there, there's a lot that goes on with that particular condition. And this is actually a good time to bring it up because a lot of it has to do with the pharmacology of it and what drugs you use. Uh, and there's a good, I, I actually just saw a good article for it. Maybe I'll post that on the BTS or BUSC site so you guys can see that. From Dove Lewis, you guys know the Dove Lewis, at Dove Lewis things? Yeah, they're really great. They have, they have a whole bunch of CE stuff, which is really good. Uh, what's next week for you guys? Is it more pharmacology stuff? Is this like two next weeks week worth? Next week is math. Um, oh, math? Advanced medical calculations. Oh, well, you guys will be fine for that, though. You guys did fine for the, for, like, I feel like that furosemide one is a bit oddball, you know what I mean, where you don't have a rate and you don't have a volume that it's going into. You guys will be okay for that. I think you'll be all right. Um, you know what though, I would say, cause I, I noticed in my old study guide that I'm looking at, yeah, there's like two weeks that are dedicated to critical care pharmacology. Um, I would say, I mean, if you guys want to do more of this, where we kind of talk about specific types of drugs and things, that would also be the time to do it. Cause honestly, you guys whizzed through the math stuff. I'm not really worried about that with all y'all. I feel like you got that part and you're all working. So, I mean, like everybody's doing that every day. Um, I think the other thing, the things that we didn't quite get to today would be like pain management. Um, somebody had written the, the, the mu receptor for opioid stuff. Like it'd be good to kind of look at the side effects of opioids, what other opioid receptors there are. Like there's like the kappa receptors, delta receptors, right? Um, side effects of those, uh, alpha two agonists. That's something they love to ask you about is the alpha two agonists and what and why they are what they are. Um, our friends metatomidine and dexmedetomidine and xylazine, which we never use, right? But that's one that they want you to know about. Um, so those are things, those are good things to review as well that we didn't quite get to today. Uh, I feel like there was one other thing. Oh God, that's a terrible question. What size, God, I hope you guys don't have to know that. Look at this one. How small do particles have to be to travel to the lower airway? Jesus Christ. 0.5 to 5 microns. Well, if that comes up on the exam, you can thank me for that. <laughs> I don't remember having to know about that. Uh, yeah, so I mean, d details for those ones we didn't quite get to today. Um, if in reviewing those antibiotics or interviewing various types of NSAIDs, if there's any questions that come up, then I'll try to pop on for the next 
um, the next one. You guys, you guys don't have it scheduled quite yet, do you, for the, for the next one? Okay, good. So we'll try to do it when, when I'm around. Uh, any questions from the reading from the old Silverstein and Hopper? Anything from there? I love how many papers Lexi has. She's got all her things. Yep. How's it going with the, with the reading of stuff? Do you guys all feel behind? Are you all behind? I was forever, the entire time. It's Kelly, Kelly dying. You're dying. You're dying slowly. <laughs> Weeks behind. I found, I think I wrote this too in the VTS or bus group. I was always two weeks behind the entire time. Like I was never, I was never caught up, but it's actually that schedule is built so that there is extra time at the end. So if you don't get all the way through the material by the time that the review weeks start, that's okay. Um, I felt like I really only got to the end of the reading, like maybe like two weeks before I left for New Orleans, which is where I took the test with Heather. So I was behind the entire time. I would just keep slugging away at it. You know, I would try to keep myself about like my, my standard was two weeks. I am standardly two weeks behind where the schedule wants me to be. Um, and that way, if I, if, if, I, if I kind of thought about it that way, then I didn't feel too terrible. If I got like three or four weeks behind, I'd start to get a little bit worried. Then it would start to be like, oh, oh okay, so this day off that I have from work that I was going to go and like do something, I'm now going to be trapped in my house for, you know, six to eight hours of review. But you also can't sit there for eight hours and think that you're going to like, like by the time that you're going on hour four or five, you're not going to remember anything. I didn't anyway. I like, so, so cramming also is not super great. Um, I think I just kind of like did a steady plug, you know, if it's helpful, um, I set myself a pretty predictable schedule about it. Like I would have about an hour and a half to two hours before I left for work. And that was like, sit with the Silverstein and Hopper time. Um, I never studied after work cause I was always too tired. So I didn't even try. Um, if I had, oh, but I always had flashcards with me. So if there was ever like, I'm waiting at the DMV or like, I'm now, of course, we're all sheltering in place. And so we're home all the time. But, you know, I, so I would find opportunities where I could just bring the flashcards with me and just have that. Um, and as opposed to dragging the Silverstein hopper around, but I pretty much dedicated every morning for like a year that, that I was going to sit with, sit with the books. And, but I never tried to do it after work. It just was never, not really a thing. I mean, I guess if you work during the day, maybe you're home by like, I don't know, like four or five or something, you might feel more spry. But I was doing swing shifts, so I'd be home at like 11 o'clock at night or midnight. That's just not going to happen. That, and at work, I found it really difficult to focus on it at work too, to do any kind of reading because you're, you're busy. You're doing everything else. Oh, what you can do is find opportunities to use what you're reading when you're at work. And I don't, not use in the sense of like, you have to like change a treatment protocol or you have to like use a different drug, but like if you're giving something, know what, why you're giving it, like what the drug is and like, not just the standardness of it. Like, you know, like, oh, this cat's been puking for a day. I'm going to give it Serenia. What is Serenia? 
like know the substance P inhibition, like, you know, like know that kind of weird stuff about the drugs that you're giving. And that gives you an opportunity to review. Um, are you all working with criticalists? Do you have criticalists at your hospitals? Oh, that's good. Not everybody though, huh? I don't. It makes me so sad. I didn't. I didn't when I did my application. It's fine. Like, it, yeah, I didn't. Not at all. Not even a little bit. I, oh, you and Renee has two. That's good. Four. Oh my, five. Jesus Christ. You guys must be putting a tube in every hole and that's fun though. <laughs> Uh, there's so when I did the studying for the exam, I had I transferred to another hospital where I had oh resident that's why you have a residency program that makes sense. Um, I transferred to a hospital that had two working criticalists, and so the study part of it I did get to do some of the studying stuff with criticalists in the hospital. Um, but my entire application and everything I did without a criticalist there, so it's it is possible to do it. Um, I actually think it's kind of, you get to be unique to be somebody who's going through this process in a hospital that doesn't have a criticalist because you're going to really make people think when you're asking questions. Yeah. And like, you know, oh, it, oh, this ant, I always like that when the toxicities would come in, like if you have a dog that came in that ate a bunch of beta blockers or something, you're going to be like, oh, dude, you guys, we are about to see some things go down. Everyone's like, what? Charcoal? And like, and you're like, no. This is going to be a whole thing. And so you have, you have an opportunity to teach everybody that you're around the stuff that's going on. And I actually, as you can tell, am motivated by talking. So I would explain a lot of stuff to people and that helped me remember things. So that, that's, that's how I could do it at work. <laughs> Kristen, I, I assure you that your ER vets don't hate you, but yes. When you come with questions, you make people think, which is not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. Um, and it, it is, it's, it's a fine line, right? It's a, it's, it's a fine line that you tread between making them feel like you're questioning something or not trusting them with something versus, no, I actually have an, like an idea of like what this could be, or like, no, I actually have a suggestion of something. And I do think it's true that the, that the doctors, they don't really know the level at which we really have to know this stuff. And so, you know, I feel a soft approach is sometimes better, better than not. It depends on the doctor too. Like I, I was gifted with these two criticalists that were so open to everything and they so loved teaching things and talking about things, but not all criticalists are like that. You know, like a lot of them don't, you know, they, they want to tell you what to do and you're just going to do the thing, which sometimes is fine. Um, but you, the, I feel like you can also, you also are going to be put in this unique position of having all this knowledge base. So you get to make suggestions that are really good. Or you get to make recognition, you know, I found that one thing that I was able to do that was a very different, I felt very differently about, um, was recognizing things that are going on in ECGs. Like you're like, oh, this animal has heart block. And they're like, what? You're like, no, for real. Like watch it for like two seconds. And then it's like, oh yeah, they do. So, I mean, there, there's moments where it's helpful, but I do sympathize. It's true that some, sometimes like, you know, the doctors are a little bit too, it seems like they're too busy to think about it, but that's okay. That's why you're there. Cause then they don't have to think about it. Oh my goodness. Look at Colleen's little study assistant. 
Oh, Stephanie Marshall was on here a couple of weeks ago. She's got three. And so it was like one little baby here, one little baby here. Yeah. I don't know how she did it. She's Wonder Woman. All right, guys, well, we're closing up on the on our time here, is there, I, I don't want to leave you with too many hangers on. Any, anything else that we didn't cover that you felt you had questions about or questions about previous, previous talks that we may have done? What was the other one? CPR and, oh, monitoring the critical patient. That's what it was. You guys are all doing great on the daily question things too, I have to say, like, you, like everybody's answering those correctly for, you know, like in, in a very quick amount of time. I feel like you guys are quick on the draw with those. Technical difficulties, technical difficulties. Um, I, the, the reading gets easier the longer that you go on, because what you'll see is that things start to repeat themselves. Like if you're looking at the clotting cascade and then you're looking at the anti-thrombolytics, like all of a sudden, all that all that stuff is going to start to make sense because you're reading about it all the time. Um, I find that the drugs are a good window into things like the RAAS system, right? And they're a good window into cardiology. They're a good window into CPR. Um, I, I think what, what I used to do is when I was doing, um, when I was doing the reading is that I would always have my note cards right next to me, um, that, that like my flashcards that I was making. And when I came across a thing I didn't know is when I would make a flashcard. If I knew what it was, or if I had a basic understanding of what it was, then I wouldn't really bother focusing on it too much because it's like, oh, that's something that I know. Okay. So like atropine I give for bradycardia. I know that. Okay. But then if it said something like, what small mammal can you not give atropine as an anticholinergic to? What exotic species? Ooh, does anybody know that? <laughs> Who works with rabbits? <laughs> right? So like, that's a, that's a drug I know, but that's a piece of information about the drug that I know and use every day that I didn't know. So that's what I'm going to make my flashcard for because I'm like, oh my God, atropinase, that's something I haven't thought about in 10 years. So I feel like that was kind of how, how I could organize my day, how I could categorize my day. Um, I also honed in on the fact that when the Silverstein and Hopper, when you go through that whole paragraph and then it says, this is now in trials for human medicine, that you're like, oh, okay. So that's maybe not a specific thing that I have to know because even the Silverstein and Hopper is saying that it's not something that I'm going to use in veterinary medicine every day. So like the, those kind of details, I wouldn't bog yourself down too hard with, but there are certain things, I will say there are certain things that you should know the details of. Like one is like the path of the blood through the heart, right? That's something to know the ins and outs for. Um, uh, we came up earlier, the, the knowing the RAAS system and how that works, how does aldosterone work? Um, how does antidiuretic hormone work? The, those are good things to really know the ins and outs of. Uh, all your emergency drugs and all, and you know, your emergency drugs kind of cross over into cardiac drug world because inevitably we're trying to start hearts. Um, and so those are good things to know details of. Um, and I actually think the, the quizzes that come in the back of the review guide are, are like the, of the AVEX study guide. Those are pretty good. 
Um, and it's a good jumping off point as to where they, where they kind of generally want your information to be and what they want you guys to know. Hence, they put that freaking cimetidine question in there. You notice that? So it's, I feel like they, they'll, they'll do that. And I think the more that you do the reading, the more you'll find out a lot of those categories are going to cross over a little bit. How did the CPR stuff go with, uh, with Heather? Was that all cool? She's the recover instructor, so I feel like she's, she's got it down. I will tell you, I did not do enough review on that recover initiative before I took this test. And I, I like there were numbers that they wanted me to know. And there was like um, defibrillation questions that they had on there that I remember going, ah, I didn't look at that at all. Because it's not really in, like the recover initiative really isn't in the Silverstein and Hopper. I mean, there's like the basic concepts of stuff, but the details from that, um, all are online or from like in the instructors that you've had or coworkers that you have and podcasts that you listen to. So I will give you that little bit about CPR is I was underprepared for that. Um, it came up a little bit when we were talking about it, all the 5H23, 5H24 stuff. Um, serotonin syndrome is something that we very, very rarely see. And yet there's a lot of different drugs that you use for that. And there's also a mechanism that happens with serotonin syndrome, like whether it's a toxicity or whether it's like the pharmacokinetics of like tramadol and fentanyl working together against, um, against you. I was also underprepared for serotonin syndrome. So I feel like there, there's a lot that goes on with that particular condition. And this is actually a good time to bring it up because a lot of it has to do with the pharmacology of it and what drugs you use. Uh, and there's a good, I, I actually just saw a good article for it. Maybe I'll post that on the BTS or BUST site so you guys can see that. From Dove Lewis, you guys know the Dove Lewis, at Dove Lewis things? Yeah, they're really great. They have, they have a whole bunch of CE stuff, which is really good. Uh, what's next week for you guys? Is it more pharmacology stuff? Is this like two I weeks worth? I think it's math. Um, oh, math. Advanced medical calculations. Uh, well, you guys will be fine for that though. You guys did fine for the, for, like, I feel like that furosemide one is a bit oddball. You know what I mean? Where you don't have a rate and you don't have a volume that it's going into. You guys will be okay for that. I think it'd be all right. Um, you know what though, I would say, cause I, I noticed in my old study guide that I'm looking at, yeah, there's like two weeks that are dedicated to critical care pharmacology. Um, I would say, I mean, if you guys want to do more of this, where we kind of talk about specific types of drugs and things, that would also be the time to do it. Cause honestly, you guys whizzed through the math stuff. I'm not really worried about that with all y'all. I feel like you got that part and you're all working. So, I mean, like everybody's doing that every day. Um, I think the other thing, the things that we didn't quite get to today would be like pain management. Um, somebody had written the, the, the mu receptor for opioid stuff. Like it'd be good to kind of look at the side effects of opioids, what other opioid receptors there are. Like there's like the kappa receptors, delta receptors, right? Um, side effects of those, uh, alpha two agonists. That's something they love to ask you about is the alpha two agonists and what and why they are what they are. Um, our friends metatomidine and dexmedetomidine and xylazine, which we never use, right? But that's one that they want you to know about. Um, so those are things, those are good things to review as well that we didn't quite get to today. Uh, I feel like there was one other thing. 
Oh God, that's a terrible question. What size? God, I hope you guys don't have to know that. Look at this one. How small do particles have to be to travel to the lower airway? Jesus Christ. 0.5 to 5 microns. Well, if that comes up on the exam, you can thank me for that. <laughs> I don't remember having to know about that. Uh, yeah, so I mean, d details for those ones we didn't quite get to today. Um, if in reviewing those antibiotics or interviewing various types of NSAIDs, if there's any questions that come up, then I'll try to pop on for the next um, the next one. You guys, you guys don't have it scheduled quite yet, do you, for the, for the next one? Okay, good. So I'll try to do it when, when I'm around. Uh, any questions from the reading from the old Silverstein and Hopper? Anything from there? I love how many papers Lexi has. She's got all her things. Yep. How's it going with the, with the, reading of stuff. Do you guys all feel behind? Are you all behind? I was forever the entire time. It's Kelly, Kelly dying. You're dying. You're dying slowly. <laughs> Weeks behind. I found, I think I wrote this too in the VTS or bus group. I was always two weeks behind the entire time. Like I was never I was never caught up, but it's actually that schedule is built so that there is extra time at the end. So if you don't get all the way through the material by the time that the review weeks start, that's okay. Um, I felt like I really only got to the end of the reading, like maybe like two weeks before I left for New Orleans, which is where I took the test with Heather. So I was behind the entire time. I would just keep slugging away at it. You know, I would try to keep myself about, like my, my standard was two weeks. I am standardly two weeks behind where the schedule wants me to be. Um, and that way, if I, if, if, I, if I kind of thought about it that way, then I didn't feel too terrible. If I got like three or four weeks behind, I'd start to get a little bit worried. Then it would start to be like, oh, oh okay. So this day off that I have from work that I was going to go, and like do something, I'm now going to be trapped in my house for, you know, six to eight hours of review. But you also can't sit there for eight hours and think that you're going to like, like by the time that you're going on hour four or five, you're not going to remember anything. I didn't anyway. I like, so, so cramming also is not super great. Um, I think I just kind of like did a steady plug, you know, if it's helpful, um, I set myself a pretty predictable schedule about it. Like I would have about an hour and a half to two hours before I left for work. And that was like sit with the Silverstein and Hopper time. Um, I never studied after work because I was always too tired. So I didn't even try. Um, if I had, oh, but I always had flashcards with me. So if there was ever like, I'm waiting at the DMV or like, I'm, now of course we're all sheltering in place and so we're home all the time. But you know, I, so I would find opportunities where I could just bring the flashcards with me and just have that. Um, and as opposed to dragging the Silverstein hopper around, but I pretty much dedicated every morning for like a year that, that I was gonna sit with, sit with the books. And, but I never tried to do it after work. It just was never, not really a thing. I mean, I guess if you work during the day, maybe you're home by like, I don't know, like four or five or something, you might feel more spry. But I was doing swing shifts, so I'd be home at like 11 o'clock at night or midnight. That's it's not going to happen. That, and at work, I found it really difficult to focus on it at work too, to do any kind of reading because you're, you're 
busy. You're doing everything else. Oh, what you can do is find opportunities to use what you're reading when you're at work. And I don't, not use in the sense of like, you have to like change a treatment protocol or you have to like use a different drug, but like if you're giving something, know what, why you're giving it, like what the drug is and like, not just the standardness of it. Like, you know, like, oh, this cat's been puking for a day. I'm going to give it Serenia. What is Serenia? Like know the substance P inhibition, like, you know, like know that kind of weird stuff about the drugs that you're giving. And that gives you an opportunity to review. Um, are you all working with criticalists? Do you have criticalists at your hospitals? That's good. Not everybody though, huh? I don't. It makes me so sad. I didn't. I didn't when I did my application. It's fine. Like, it, yeah, I didn't. Not at all. Not even a little bit. I, oh, you and Renee has two. That's good. Four. Oh my Five. Jesus Christ. You guys must be putting a tube in every hole and that's fun though. <laughs> uh, there's, so when I did the studying for the exam, I had, I transferred to another hospital where I had all oh, resident. That's why you have a residency program. That makes sense. Um, I transferred to a hospital that had two working criticalists. And so the study part of it, I did get to do some of the studying stuff with criticalists in the hospital. Um, but my entire application and everything I did without a criticalist there. So it's, it is possible to do it. Um, I actually think it's kind of, you get to be unique to be somebody who's going through this process in a hospital that doesn't have a criticalist because you're going to really make people think when you're asking questions. Yeah. And like, you know, oh, the, it, oh, this ant, I always like that when the toxicities would come in, like if you have a dog that came in that ate a bunch of beta blockers or something, you're going to be like, oh, dude, you guys, we are about to see some things go down. Everyone's like, what? Charcoal? And like, and you're like, no, this is going to be a whole thing. And so you have, you have an opportunity to teach everybody that you're around the stuff that's going on. And I actually, as you can tell, am motivated by talking. So I would explain a lot of stuff to people and that helped me remember things. So that, that's, that's how I could do it at work. <laughs> Kristen, I, I assure you that your ER vets don't hate you, but yes, when you come with questions, you make people think, which is not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. Um, and it, it is, it's, it's a fine line, right? It's a, it's, it's a fine line that you tread between making them feel like you're questioning something or not trusting them with something versus, no, I actually have an, like an idea of like what this could be or like, no, I actually have a suggestion of something. And I do think it's true that the, that the doctors, they don't really know the level at which we really have to know this stuff. And so you know, I feel a soft approach is sometimes better, better than not. It depends on the doctor too. Like I, I was gifted with these two criticalists that were so open to everything and they so loved teaching things and talking about things, but not all criticalists are like that. You know, like a lot of them don't, you know, they, they want to tell you what to do and you're just going to do the thing, which sometimes is fine. Um, but you, the, I feel like you can also you also are going to be put in this unique position of having all this knowledge base. So you get to make suggestions that are really good or you get to make recognition. You know, I found that one thing that I was able to do that was a very different, I felt very differently about um, 
was recognizing things that are going on in ECGs. Like you're like, oh, this animal has heart block. And they're like, what? You're like, no, for real. Like watch it for like two seconds. And then it's like, oh yeah, they do. So, I mean, there, there's moments where it's helpful, but I do sympathize. It's true that some, sometimes like, you know, the doctors are a little bit too, it seems like they're too busy to think about it, but that's okay. That's why you're there. Cause then they don't have to think about it. Oh my goodness. Look at Colleen's little study assistant. Oh, Stephanie Marshall was on here a couple weeks ago. She's got three. And so it was like one little baby here, one little baby here. Yeah. I don't know how she did it. She's wonder woman. All right, guys, well, we're closing up on the, on our time here. Is there, I, I don't want to leave you with too many hangers on any, anything else that we didn't cover that you felt you had questions about or questions about previous, previous talks that we may have done. What was the other one? CPR and, oh, monitoring the critical patient. That's what it was. You guys are all doing great on the daily question things too. I have to say, like, you, like everybody's answering those correctly for, you know, like in, in a very quick amount of time. I feel like you guys are quick on the draw with those. Uh, let me look. Oh, here's an idea. In our last little window here, Let's look at, I have a feeling that our toxicology section here, this little toxicology part of the review might have some good questions for us for pharmacology. So let's have a look, shall we? Let's have a look. Do, 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 do. Oh, yes. Okay, I'm going to have to I'm going to have to look and see. Uh, yes. Here's a here's a tricky one. It's open book. Don't worry. You don't have to know it off the top of your head. Which of the following is not used as a serotonin antagonist? Okay. So we're looking for So if it says which of the following is not used as a serotonin antagonist, you would think that that means that a lot of them are serotonin antagonists, right? So, okay, here's the list. The following, which of the following is not used? And our choices are ciproheptadine, procanamide, chlorpromazine, and acepromazine. So out of those four, not used as a serotonin antagonist. Ooh, that's tricky. I have to look to see. Oh, it is about serotonin syndrome for sure. See, underprepared. I was underprepared. Procanamide, procanamide. Let's see. Yes. Yes, girl. Very good. Procanamide. So let's see what they say. Because serotonin syndrome, we just talked about it. Okay, so procanamide, 
The big concern with an SSRI overdose is serotonin syndrome. There we are, which results from excess serotonergic agonism of the serotonin receptors in the CNS and peripheral nervous system, phenothiazine, such as acepromazine and chlorpromazine, as well as ciproheptadine, are serotonergic antagonists. Procanamide, on the other hand, is a sodium channel blocker and would not be used in these cases. Right on. So the um, ciproheptadine, there's another weird-ass drug, right? And that's one that I didn't have in my flashcard pile, but that's another weird-ass drug that comes up in these study sessions and in your literature that we never, ever use. Um, ciproheptadine is a big one for serotonin syndrome. And in fact, in that article, that at the Dove Lewis article, um, that I'll post on the VTS or, or BTS or Bust website. That's one of the drugs that they use. And the crazy thing in that article that I didn't know is that you can give um, ciproheptadine rectally if the dog is too out of it to be able to take it orally, that it's still absorbed that way. So I did not know that. Thank you, at Dove Lewis. Um, great. Well done. Uh, let's see if there's another one that's Oh, okay. Well, kind of. Mm. I feel like this one's a little bit too easy, but we'll do it anyway because we were talking about atropine earlier. For which toxicant, that's a good word, for which toxicant is atropine an antidote? You probably just, you probably just say that without even really... Oh, retention. Oh, oh, sorry, Kristen. I just saw that you said retention enemas. Is the, reten the, the retention enemas is for the for the um, ciproheptadine? Is that what that is, Kristen? With cipro, yeah. Weird. I've never heard of such a thing. Well, cool. I'm glad that you know about that. Uh, yes. So for which toxicant is atropine an antidote? Pyrethrin, ethylene glycol. Ooh, that's a terrible one. Organophosphates or zinc. I've got to check that I know what this is. Yeah, okay, thank God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Oh, my God, Alice. I love that you wrote that. <laughs> it's that Italian toxicity. It'll get you every time. The oregano toxicity. <laughs> I loved it. That's, that's the best answer we've had so far. I knew what you, I knew you were getting there. I knew what you meant. I knew what you meant. Yes. Organophosphates. Good job, guys. Oh, okay. So here is, here's one that we'll talk about and make it relative to our world, but it's actually, it's a question for another thing. But anyway, um, what intoxication will not benefit from activated charcoal administration? So we're looking for the one that doesn't benefit from activated charcoal. Here's our list. Baclofen, cholecalciferol, zinc, and acetaminophen. Which one of those does not benefit? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I see two for zinc. Are we sure? No. How? Oh, very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll go with three. Yes. No heavy metals. Exactly. Charcoal, going to be a spit in the ocean with heavy metals. You're exactly right. Um, now, someone said, xyl oh, Kristen, you said xylitol. Now, that is a very interesting response. Can you tell me why 
Xylitol is on that list. That's not good for activated charcoal. I love that you said it because you're right, but it's good to know why. Yes, too quick. That's exactly right. It happens. It's so fast. It is so fast. That's why it is just, yup. Uh, I don't know that it's necessarily orally absorbed, uh, probably to some extent, but it's that it's so rapid. Like there's, you're just never going to catch it. You're never going to catch it. Like it's not, because it, that's what charcoal does is absorb the toxin. And so with xylitol, it's so fast. Yeah. I mean, you'll see people give charcoal for xylitol just because it's like, why not? Like for grape ingestion, some people will give charcoal, which I'm like, sure. Um, but yeah, for xylitol, there's just, there's not really a reason to do it. There's, it's, you know, bye-bye. It's too fast. Yes. So you're very right. So it's, so Xylitol is not an incorrect answer. Thank you for bringing that up. I think that that's great. Uh, let's see if there's other ones that are relevant to our world. Oh, look at this. There's a question. What is the time of, just because it's relevant now, what is the time of peak plasma concentration of xylitol after ingestion by the dog? And it gives you 15 minutes, 30 minutes, three hours, six hours. Boy, I think it's the shortest one. I'm not sure. Oh, okay. All right. All right, BTS. Fine. Yes, Melissa. I, I was with Melissa. I thought it was the 15 minutes, but whatever. They say 30 minutes. Fine. Fine, BTS. Be all specific. But yes, it's 30 minutes. 30 minutes. I would have said, I, I thought it was 15 minutes. But yep, 30 minutes. Yep, yep, yep. Um, okay, guys, I think those are all the ones that are kind of relevant to pharmacology land. Oh my God, that baby is cute. <laughs> Helping with studying. Oh, it's adorable. Okay, guys. Well, I think that I think we're good there, y'all. Unless any last burning questions or last things that that come up, baby, little baby, besides being just cuteness. Hi, baby. You're adorable. Right on. Right on, guys. Thank you for um, tolerating the in and out Zoom stupidness. I'll have to figure out how to make that not happen the next time. But I think part of it is because I was recording it in some weird way. And so now it's like upset with me the, the way that I decided to record it. But I will post those. So I'll, 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 get the, um, I'll get the recording stuff up there so you guys can listen to it later. Um, and I'll let you know where that is at. Um, feel free to uh, get a hold of me on Facebook or also um, my email here. Let me do this. Let me type my email in here just in case you guys need it. Here we go. Do it. There you go. So that's my email address if you guys want to get a hold of me that way. But you can also find me on, on Facebook and you can totally message me if there's anything that comes up that you guys need help with. Um, oh, Qu yes, Quizlet is great, Alice. Quizlet is a great app for flashcard stuff. Um, I know we're not there yet too, but speaking of website things, there's a thing that's called um, the Blood Gas Ninja. Ah, arterial blood gas ninja. Oh, look at auto. I've typed it so many times. Autocorrect knows it. Um, 
this ABG Ninja thing, if you like Google that, it's a, it's a website and it gives you these like little quizzes on arterial blood gases and it gives you like the pH, the PaCO2, and the bicarb. And you have to tell the quiz, is it compensated, not compensated, respiratory, metabolic? Like it's super hard and you'll get the first 10 of them wrong. And then you'll be like, oh my God, I can do this. And then it like really starts to click in like as you're looking at that. So I know we're not there yet. Um, but the blood gases are really, really hard and it comes like kind of late. There's a reason why it comes late in the study process is because you have to know so much about your systems by the time you get there, um, which you will. But I found that very helpful when, when I was looking at different websites to kind of play with. I still do it. I still do it when I'm bored at work and I get like 50% of them wrong. It's ridiculous. Um, part of Quizlet stuff is free. I think there is like a cost involved in there. For, for some things, but I can't quite remember. But I, I was able to do some of the Quizlet stuff for free, which was good. Yeah. All right, kids. You guys are the best. Mwah. You're all very smart. You did fabulously. So I will be in touch. Feel free to keep in touch. And hopefully I'll pop on back on here for next week too, since it's more fun with drugs. <laughs> all right, guys. Thank you.